broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta. It's time for Customer Experience Radio, brought to you by Heineken Company, real estate advisors specialized in corporate relocation. Now, here's your host, Jill Heineck. Welcome to this very special edition of Customer Experience Radio. I'm your host, Jill Heineck, and I'm a business owner, real estate advisor, and customer experience enthusiast. As most of you know, I run a boutique real estate group specializing in relocation, and I have an obsession with continually improving the customer experience. We ask our clients at the beginning, during, and post-transaction what it is they need from us in order to make it a 10-plus experience. Sometimes they know, and sometimes they don't, so it's up to us to anticipate their needs to create loyal repeat clients. It, this is why I'm excited about our guest today. He's been helping organizations create remarkable customer experiences and grow their leaders. Jason Young is a hospitality and leadership communicator and coach who has worked with leaders at companies like Ford Motor Company, Life Church, Chick-fil-A, and others. And most recently, he was the director of guest experience at Buckhead Church and North Point Ministries, a nationally known network of churches with 40,000 people in average, in an average weekly attendance. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Buckhead Church was founded by and is led by pastor, author, and speaker Andy Stanley. Jason is the author of four books, including The Comeback Effect, which focuses on how hospitality can compel guests to return to a church for business. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you, Jill. Good to be here. I'm so glad to have you. And I mean, you are, you know, speaking my speak here. I love talking about this and I love to see the kind of work that you're doing. So let's start with what gets you pumped about CX or the customer experience? Um, I would probably say two things. Um, one, the individual delivering the experience. And so what does that mean for them? So I don't need you to do like all these tasks, which are important, but I don't want to help you feel something at work. Cause if I can get you to do that, it's much easier to secondly focus on the emotions of the guest. So I love to help the team member, feel it, deliver it. And then I love the guests to feel it and receive it and then comment to somebody about, you know, their experience with that particular brand. Love it. So what, what brought you down the CX road? How did you get here? What was your initial journey? Uh, it was non-intentional. I will tell you that. My, if you were to ask, so I would probably say two or three things. One, my parents are really good at this. So my mom has worked in medicine, you know, my whole life. The way she cares for patients and, and the way I heard her talk about patients and um how she wants them to feel and removing obstacles. I didn't know that growing up, it was forming this, um, this thing in my brain that was really important. My dad, same thing. He used to manage a fortune 500 um, company that the way he would take care of people and talk about the guests and customers, you know, so I began to put all these things together. The, the other thing is, so in my background, most of where I've worked um, has been in churches. And so, you know, and, and coached and consulted with companies. What's interesting about that is the level of expectation or pressure is even uh, more because it's just a different place in a business. You know, the transactions are different. The bottom line is different. I mean, it's still a business, but it's different. 
And so I think in working in those places, I began to understand how important people were and the needs that they had and the feelings that they had. And if we don't acknowledge that, I could sell you something, but that's really maybe not what you need. You need something more. And so I think kind of putting all those pieces together, my mom will tell you back in the, since I was a kid, I would always comment on experiences and the way they think and feel and treat, you know, and so I didn't even know what I was doing. Probably still don't, <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> I think it kind of brought me to this place that it is so important for me personally that I wanted to get into the space to help other people feel it and love it personally too. I love that. So where, before you were at North Point or Buckhead Church, um, what was the, what was the work experience you had before that? Yeah. I mean, so most of it's been, you know, kind of in that church space. Um, okay. I used to work at Life Church, um, which is, you know, they have 35 campuses um, around the country. And um, so I, I would, I would say that I've worked in churches. I've also worked in, you know, some business spaces and um, with clients like Ford or Chick-fil-A, you know, different places like that outside of the church space. Um to help them understand people. And I think that's the big thing in the customer experience world. It's, well, let's get the right product. Let's get the right process. You can bat a thousand at that. But if you don't understand people or the emotions of people, your batting average drops significantly. So for me, I actually love playing in both the church space and the business space. Um, I love both of those worlds. And I think I can help both of those because people are people regardless of which one we're talking about. That's right. So I'd love to hear uh, a couple of the lessons that you learned when you were working with um, Andy at North Point. I would probably say that the, the biggest, probably two biggest things with, with Andy, and these were consistent. Um, one, he deeply, deeply cares about the guest. And I used to hear people say that about other pastors or CEOs or, you know, EVPs or whoever was responsible for that. But it's different when you filter your decisions through that. And that's what he did. And so it was a great, I, I knew that about him from a distance, but then up close and then reporting to him, I saw that was really real. So I, I learned that if you're going to make decisions for the guest, you have to filter those decisions through how the guest feels. Um, the second thing um, I would say is the people that carry out those moments to the guests, the volunteers in this case and staff, incredibly important. Um, and so, and then I said two things, but I lied, three things. The third thing would be excellent, excellent, excellent. And so how do you consistently achieve excellence and then figure out looking ahead, what does it look like for us to sustain it? especially in a church space when people, I say everybody, I wouldn't say that, but a lot of people are looking for a reason to not come back. And if it's not excellent, that's an easy reason for people to say, well, it wasn't great. I'm moving on or I'm not coming back. So I would say those are the three biggest things I um, learned working in that organization and namely working with and alongside him. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, that excellence kind of um, uh, basis 
crosses over in many organizations and as our friend Horace Schulte with the Ritz-Carlton um, as a former Ritz-Carlton founder, he would talk about, you know, that is that is the basis of his business is right. bringing those guests back to the hotels over and over and over again because it's over and above. The excellence is over and above, right? Yeah. Um, that's well, the and, goal. And, and the tension, and I don't know, you know, if you're listening today, I don't know if you have ever felt this pressure. And if you have, you're normal. That's the good news. Um, is is defining excellence, knowing what it is, and then maybe there's this internal battle that you might experience of perfection and excellence. That's my struggle. And I ask myself, because somebody asked me this years ago, well, Jason, what does perfection even look like? Mm. I don't have a clue. I actually don't know what it looks like. So it sounds good, and it sounds admirable, and it sounds aspirational, but I don't know what it looks like. Therefore, I don't ever know when I'm there. In fact, the CEO of Georgia Power, Paul Bowers, um, one day I was in his office and I asked him this question. How do you know, like, and I started talking about perfection. And he's like, oh, I don't. But here's what I will tell you. I pursue perfection and I discover excellence. And he goes, so I feel like I can quantify and qualify excellence way easier than I can perfection, but yet I still pursue it. You know, so it's just an interesting internal struggle for myself that I assume my staff and volunteers, you know, are also navigating as well. So if that's you, you are in good company. Well, it's definitely an evolution. I think that, yeah. um, you know, what's working today may still keep working, but how can you improve upon that, that process? How can you improve upon that experience? And, you know, I've been in business 22 years. Um, I am every year I'm looking back or even every um, six months, we're looking back at the holes at previous within previous transactions so that we can continue to improve our yeah. communications plan, our, our delivery of um, of our services and, and things of that nature. So I think um, to your point, you know, you're pursuing it at all times. If you're if you stop pursuing it, then yeah. maybe that's a problem. <laughs> well, no, you're you're right. And, and not to belabor this point, but I think it's huge, especially in this COVID world that excellence is all the more important because it is easy for me to digitally switch to another brand because now I don't have to interface so much with a person. I can interface with technology. It feels less personal. So it's easier potentially for me to leave. And so in, in, the, in that vein, one thing that is um, that I guess I've given myself permission to, to do and not do I, I love change, and I know that sounds potentially weird to some people because change can be stressful and it's pressure and, you know, all of those things. But sometimes in, in the pursuit of excellence or to do things better, there is this pressure to overhaul. And so for me, I've given myself permission to not overhaul but to tweak. And so, you know, we don't have time today, but if you Google um, Team Sky, Great Britain cycling team, um, their performance director helped them become an enormous contender and win the Tour de France back-to-back -back and be a leader in the you know, cycling world simply by the aggregation of marginal gains. So just these 1% tweaks, but over a period of time. And so you know, maybe it's looking at less overhaul and more just small tweaks, sticking with it, and then seeing really enormous impact come from that. That actually may lead to excellence better. That's how I write. That's how I change my sleep pattern. 
That's how I, so for me, it's just these small things that over a period of time, they aggregate um, for greater impact. Yeah. So talk to me about what you're changing up on your sleep pattern. <laughs> so do not model your sleep pattern after this guy. Um, so I, I will say one of the greatest struggles I have is is sleep. In fact, if, if any of my friends are listening, they would say, yes, at least he knows it because we all see it. So for as long as I can remember, I'm a, I don't know, 12, 12, 30 guy and get up at 4 a.m. And friends would say, um, hey, they would email me notes on sleep and books. And I'm like, you're right. I get it. I just got to tweak that. And so for me, it's just instead of going, well, I'm going to get up an hour later, I couldn't do it. So I would just do 15 minute increments and then I would do it for months and then I would change it. And so I'm doing better on the on the uh, the sleep side of things. I, I think I have internal pressure that I love productivity and mm-hmm. I don't want to say there's an addiction to productivity, um, but maybe there is and that's a weakness or an issue. And so you know, and I'm judging myself on these things and results and, you know, and if you're listening today, you're like that, that I, you can empathize with me. And at the same time, maybe you're on the other, other side of the coin going, this dude has problems. And you're right. Um, <laughs> both of those probably. So I, I think, I think it's tackling. I mean, that's how I wrote, you know, um, you know, my second book is again, tweaking 1%. Because I can always come up with excuses until I discipline myself to to create the change that I want by changing my behaviors, but giving my, myself permission to do it a little at a time. I like it. I like it a lot. I know that, you know, you and I are a lot in the same headspace when you want to be productive, you do it early before things start getting crazy, right? During the day. Sure. So early yeah. is always better, <laughs> but you still need sleep. So we'll work yeah. on that. <laughs> you're right. Thank you. I need help. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're, talk to us a little bit um, about the um, outside of your speaking business, the um, CXO role that you're in at this point with um, the healthcare company. Yeah. I mean, so sitting in a, you know, uh, chief customer officer role, the, um, I, I, I think I approach it like this. I don't have all the answers, but I know a lot of great people. And so kind of giving yourself permission, giving myself permission to, all right, what do we ultimately want to achieve? And then who do I need to help make that happen? And how can I help them? So there is this temptation, not just in a, in a CXO role, but in roles, I don't care if you're EVP or if you're director, manager, if you're entry level, it doesn't matter. There's a temptation to get from people to help yourself achieve your goals or mm-hmm. the pressure that is being put on you by your supervisor or whatever. And so you you can get from people, do your thing. And I think the the great thing we should remember, one great thing, is remember that the people at the table aren't there just to contribute to what you're trying to accomplish, but you are there to help contribute to them. And, and for me, that is both in work and personal life, right? And so I think sometimes we, we want people to, and this is for me, just in the CXO role or working with church, it doesn't matter, is I, I don't want you to check everything at the door. I actually want you to bring your whole self. 
And if I can help you at work, and then if I can help you in your life, like you are more engaged because I care beyond the walls of the company. And of course we're digital, so I care beyond that. And I think sometimes in a role, we could feel pressure to get things done. And so we're like, Jill, I need something from you. And so-and-so, I need something from you. And Jason, no, why haven't, you know, we can. And so I think a lot of times I need to make deposits in other people and to help them as much as I'm asking them to help me, if not more, in addition to beyond the scope of work. And that takes work. In fact, I call it the inconvenience of intentionality. It's inconvenient many times, but suck it up. That's, that's what is part of leadership and caring for people. Don't you think that when you ask people for things, it's inconvenient? More than likely it is. So embracing this idea of I'm going to be intentional with Jill. I'm going to be intentional with so-and-so. I'm going to be intentional and building and, and knowing that oftentimes the opportunities are really inconvenient, but that's probably where a lot of the power for the company and the relationship lies. So don't let tasks distract you from the relationship. Allow the relationship to live as much as you want the tasks to be effective. Yeah, and I think that when you're focusing on the uh, team that's delivering the product or service that you are you know, selling, um, they need to feel engaged, like you said. It's the employee experience as much as, yeah. much as it is the customer experience because they're, yep. you know, the end user, the end receiver, right? So if the employee, yeah. the team is delivering a great experience, then or, or excited about their experience within the cult, the culture of the company, yeah. then we know that the customer is going to feel that. Well, and it's interesting, you know. There's this this both and piece potentially, and I see this in leaders and I have probably Jill, I've probably done this myself and should profusely apologize to, to who, to how many other people. But I think a lot of times a leader will lead via policy, but expect the team members to lead via values. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to deliver to the customer, the guest, our values, but I'm going to lead you with our policy. And I'm not saying people do this, but it's easy to do. And so the best thing I can do is I model for you what I expect you to model and deliver to, you know, the guests. And I think that is incredibly important. I mean, you look at companies that do it well, this is one of the things that they do. Great leaders do this well and they do it consistently. Um, And so for, for me, I I work hard to try to do that. I'm not perfect at it by far, um, but I want people to tell me and, uh, they tell me, and sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, like that didn't feel great, but you're right. You're absolutely right. So, so give us an example. Like what has someone said to you? Yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> the first thing that popped in my head, and this may not be a great example, but the first thing that popped in my head, um, I tend to, I'm a verbal processor. So maybe, maybe you're listening today and you're like, golly, that guy said in 60 seconds, what he could have said in 20 and you're right. Um, my wife would agree. My kids would agree. You're right. And so with that, I remember I love to talk about ideas. And so I'm talking out loud. And just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean we're going to go do it all. And so I remember one time there was a leader that said to me in a 360, and then I eventually sat down with this individual. And they said, you know, there's a lot of things that you talk about, but you don't do. 
And I'm like, and I'm an action oriented guy results. And I'm like, I kind of was offended. I didn't say that. I was trying to be just leader like, yeah, you're right. You know? And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, you'll talk about like five things and do four. And I'm like, yeah. They said, yeah. So I just assume like, you know, your follow through is not good. And I'm like, I'm good at follow through. What we discovered was the way I was talking and the way this person was listening wasn't good. So this person said to me, if you can tell me, hey, we're not going to do anything right now, or I'm just talking out loud, or what are the expectations? When I walk away, I want you or I felt pressure from you that I had to help you do five things. And then when I didn't see you do it, I thought, well, he doesn't feel the pressure. That's unfair. So it was creating this unfair feeling in somebody when I didn't even know what was going on. And so I think just giving people the right to, to deliver solicited and unsolicited feedback and, and to ask, um, you know, in team meetings or maybe even bring it up. You know, sometimes I would even meetings bring up, you know, my wife told me the other day, blah, 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 blah. Is this true? And people are like, well, yeah. And so it was a great opportunity for me to go, well, man, I am sorry. That probably creates more work on you guys and gals. That is completely unfair. Or I'm not good at this. You know, and so I think it is being open to listening without being defensive, which is not always easy, especially when you think right. the way you're doing it is right. Um, right. You know, using self-deprecating humor or... Um, you know, that, those kinds of things. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that's just kind of the first example that popped in my brain. Well, and part of it is, you know, when we're asking for feedback along the way during our, you know, um, work, um, you know, the work path um, during a transaction, we're asking along the way, you know, is there anything that you need? And a lot of the times they, they don't know what they need. And mm -hmm. if they do know what they need and they do add feedback, um, sometimes it's not what you expected. It might not be great. And so you have yeah. to be open for that feedback, right? Um, but I think also what you're talking about is the pressure to then respond or react immediately to whatever feedback that you're getting, which, you know, again, I think you have to take your 1% tweaks and, and yeah. implement it that way because, A, it may not, it's somebody's perception, number one. And number two, um, implementation is harder than it sounds on most yeah. in most cases yeah. and yeah. takes longer. So um, I think just like you said, being open and just having that yeah. conversation is going to keep your team engaged. And then again, make them want to deliver. Yep. And Joe, I don't know, this example popped in my brain. I remember sitting in a final interview with an organization. I eventually went to work for them. And they, they, it was almost like the apprentice type format interviews, multiple days. It was intense. I mean, we were taking English tests and math tests. I don't even know what for, but they had a rhyme and reason. But I remember sitting in the very last interview and they said something to me that rocked my world, but changed my world. Probably the best thing anybody ever said. And this is what they said to me. You're a super talented guy, Jason, but you are not emotionally intelligent. And I said, cool, don't know what you're talking about. This is, you know, 12 years ago, 12 plus years ago. And what I discovered was there were two things happening. They were giving me feedback in an interview. They unpacked it for me, but they were also setting the tone of one of the things as an employee of this organization that they valued most 
is emotional intelligence. So in the interview, a lot was happening, but what it did for me is it set me on a path for 10 or 12 years that I've worked so hard on emotional intelligence. And you know what? They were absolutely right. Because here's what I've been told my whole life up until that point. Uh, Jason, you're talented. Jason, you have great skills. Jason, you're good with people. Jason, you know, but nobody ever told me this other small piece that actually made the other pieces that people told me I was good at even better. And so mm-hmm. it was a hard pill to swallow, but they were absolutely right. So I think listening to feedback and then and then just putting in the hard work and doing it over a long period of time and let the results be what they are. Yeah. And I think in this fast paced world, everybody wants the immediate, you know, um, solution to be implemented right away and see those results. But we still have to go old school and take it easy. Right. And just see, (laughs) you know, one step at a time. Yeah, (laughs) That's all. I'm I'm the first person. I want everything done yesterday and done right. and Perfect. Oh, girl, I echo that. Come on. It does. It doesn't work. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and and ask you um, to to share with our listeners a little bit, you know, about um, what your um, speaking experiences have brought to you. What kind of cool things have you are you learning as you're kind of talking to groups about uh, the customer experience and what kind of feedback you're getting from your audiences? Yeah. So the you know. The business of it right now looks drastically different than it did in February. Right. Um, right. I mean, rocking and rolling. All of a sudden, we hit this thing. If you've never heard about it, called coronavirus, and everybody's right. talking about it. And look, it impacted enormous. All live events for in my world canceled this year, and so it it taught me it taught me one enormous um, thing, and that thing was the very thing I love, which were live events. That's great for Jason, but what it didn't do, it didn't set me up well for something, if something were to happen, like, you know, the season that we're in right now. And so it created a, hey, how much have you thought about the digital space? And not just throwing yourself on a screen and calling it a day and it's good enough, but really exploring what do people need? Um, How to abbreviate something, Um, new offerings you know, things of that nature. And so that's been an interesting um, discovery, both in myself, but also in talking with, you know, faith-based organizations, uh, companies that are struggling too, other companies that are flourishing, you know, the needs are, the needs are different and, um, and the timing of the needs, and it could change from week to week. And so that's an overwhelming place to be, you know, as a business owner, um, faith-based, flourishing, not flourishing, whatever. And so, I think for me, um, learning how to do business differently with different offerings is something I've learned. Um, and I think sometimes we wait for these moments to force us to think differently versus just giving ourselves permission to think differently without the force of, you know, a season like this. And so we always say, well, we didn't have time. Well, all of a sudden we've got plenty of time. That's um, right. <laughs> and, and maybe time was never the issue. Maybe it was discipline. Um, and, and so I think for me that that's been a thing, I think, um, navigating, you know, what is, you know, I used to complain out a year or two Well, now I can, because it, the, I mean, you know, there's just cliche where the fluidity of our season. Okay. Right. So that is something I can't, December may look different than September, you know, so 
how can I make something that might look the same or work or operable or, you know, so what I'm trying to do is trying to create an operable framework that is helpful to companies and churches, um, especially when some of them have yet to reopen, you mm -hmm. know, so their needs are different than those that are physically open, their buildings or churches. So for me, it's asking a lot of questions to a lot of people and it's asking what is something that I can do that is helpful. I don't have to solve it all. What's something that I can do that is helpful? So I don't, I don't know if that makes sense or if that's even helpful, but that's just kind of raw on where I'm sitting at today um, and trying to figure things out. Yeah, so I think that, um, I mean, that's where we all are. I mean, we've had to yep. pivot in our business too, and, and we can't do in-live, you know, in-person open houses. So how are we doing mm -hmm. this? We're doing it on Facebook Live. We're walking people through houses on Zoom. Um, yeah. So we are, are, we are doing open houses. Um, um, but that, you know, Corona has forced us to reinvent the way people see homes and, and buy homes now. So you're, you're, we're all doing the same things in different spaces, right? So let me ask you this question. And this is a question I'm asking myself. And I read this somewhere, I don't weeks or months ago, I think it was months ago. And I, I think it might've just been a line, but it really resonated with me trying to figure out what moments require pivoting and what moments require innovating? And, you know, for me, I think that has been a really great challenge because, you know, if you're anything like me, I hear pivot 482 times a day. I wow. use it 482 times a day. And it's like, and eventually people are like, okay, we're all pivoting. We get it. But asking the hard question, is this a pivot move or does this, does this require me to innovate? And, and for me, those require different approaches, different, maybe even different parts of my brain, um, might require different people at the table. The, the, the timeline might be different. So they're just different versus kind of lumping up. We just got to pivot everything. Well, maybe, you know, and so for me, I'm asking questions like, what do I need to start? What do I need to fix? What do I need to end? That's you funny. know, maybe another set of questions could be, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what's missing, what's confusing. And so in asking myself these questions and getting other voices, I call them my table of influence, getting a table of influencers around me and helping think through these things, man, the result is, is pretty remarkable. Not because I'm remarkable, because just the, the questions and the people, it just makes it better. And so my question maybe to you, maybe, you know, is, is have we thought about, you know, what needs to pivot or what do I need to pivot? And then what do we, maybe innovation is, is what's being required. I, I don't know. Just kind of where I'm a raw feeling where I've been the last couple of months. I definitely think innovation is, is more than half of it only because we are leveraging tools that we already have to yeah. innovate ways to do different things. So from a pivoting perspective, I would think it's you're pivoting your mindset. You're really having yeah. to wrap your head around the current environment. And then the innovation comes from, tools that you currently have or innovate different ways to do what you've always done, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to, and we're in a, that digital space, you know, we're doing in our space, we're doing a lot of things like reverse offers where mm -hmm. maybe last week we had a lot of offers on a property that, you know, just didn't work for the seller. And then a week goes by and the seller's like, but I really still want to sell my house. Let's go back to these buyers. If they haven't made a buying decision and mm -hmm. let you engineer and craft a strategic reverse offer to them and see if this would work for them instead. So, you know, reverse offers have always been around, but I think mm -hmm. even more so we're seeing it more in our practice. So 
it's innovating that way as well. So yeah, I think, great. you know, mindset definitely is, um, is where the pivot happens. You have to be okay with making a change. And if you don't move, if you're not fluid, um, yeah. you're probably going to be out. And, and that's particularly in our field. That's what we're seeing. Right. Um, and you, you know, you also have to be COVID conscious and, yeah. <laughs> You know, the first thing is we want to make sure everybody's safe and healthy. And so our teams have already, you know, we very quickly put all that into place. We really didn't have a choice. We've always been deemed essential. So we want to be still maintain essential, uh, be essential and healthy and safe. So um, we, we've Im implemented a lot of different um, uh, strategies around that as well. So just keeping keeping it flowing and, and believe it or not, um, real estate's just kind of gone through the roof in, in Atlanta mm -hmm. over the last six months. So um, that's been a good thing. Uh, people in your space that I've seen who speak for a living um, have kind of innovated and created programs online, sure. um, but not as long or, you know, you can't, you can't do as much one-to-one um, -one interactions, right? Because you can't have right. 200 people on Zoom. Uh, yeah. just doesn't work. So, you know, we have seen that. So um, a lot of what our company has done, Keller Williams International has done a lot of top agent training via Zoom calls and not all of us are on it. We're just watching them talk to us and we're able to ask questions and mm -hmm. we're getting top agents from all over the world to discuss the new strategies mm -hmm. um, and what they're buying into and what's working well for them. So mm -hmm. I think at a high level, that's um, it's just taking, you know, kind of like you said, tables of influence and kind of taking what works for someone that might you might be able to implement part of what they're doing in your yeah. in your processes, in your business. Yeah, um, that's good. I'm curious to know what one of uh, if you have a standout CX strategy um, that you have worked on or a customer of yours worked on that's worked really well that pops out in your head. Yeah, you, there's there's two and I'm going to maybe pick one. Um, I think, I, I, let me go with this one. Um, and the reason is, I think it works at work and I think it works at home. I think it's really the idea and I didn't come up with this idea, so I can't credit myself with it. Um, but it's really just the power of being fully present with someone. And so if I'm, you know, and if I'm a real estate agent, being fully present with the 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 buyer in front of me or the seller in front of me, you know, digitally or in person, or if I'm at, you know, if I'm, I work at a grocery store and I'm checking out, you know, uh, Jill and I'm, you know, it's as simple as scanning groceries and you feel like you got these tasks to do. What does it mean to be fully present? What does it mean if you're, you know, a CEO and to be fully present with your, your C-suite, you know, or your assistant or, what does it mean to be fully present with your kids? And so I think when we understand how powerful, and I don't mean this in an arrogant sense, but how powerful our presence is with another person, our presence to someone else is a gift because we live in a hectic, fast-paced world and we, give, we don't give people the right amount of time, attention, or listening, or empathy that they deserve that we want. And it strains a relationship, even though we do it in the name of productivity. I'm guilty of this, right? And so I think one of the things we can do is to be mentally uh, fully present. So, 
You press pause in what you're thinking, so you can press play on what the person's saying. Physically, fully present, watching your body language because your actions speak louder, you know, than than your words. To be emotionally fully present, what does that mean? It means that you give somebody the gift of empathy. And empathy is not, oh, I'm sorry, you know, but empathy is is jumping in with them. You'll walk with them, you know. It's not sympathy. And so I think the the more we can be fully present with a guest, a customer, people feel that. And when they feel those things, they may not go, oh, you, you are being empathetic with me or you're being fully. They don't they're not going to say those words, but it is what they feel. And so maybe maybe the thing that I've seen to be most powerful in the work that I do, whether it's with a, um, a business, a church, uh, a leader is if, if I can if I can help you to be better at being fully present with the person in front of you, not, your leadership gets better, your relationships get better, your business gets better, your guests love you more, they remark on how remarkable you are. And what it does secondarily, secondarily or maybe on a tertiary side, is it boosts your likability. And I'm not saying like self-esteem likability, but likability as a leader, likability as a brand. And people do business with brands they like. People want to work with someone they like. So it's just an it's an impactful thing at home and at work that the more fully present you can be with someone, the more the more you win. But at the end of the day, the more you help the person across from you win, because what you're saying to them is when I'm fully present with you, I am declaring what I value and that's you. And that is a rare gift in the world that we live in. That's right, especially now that we're everything has gone digital um, because yeah. we have to have had to. So yeah, I think right. that's I think it's really interesting. So um, you know, I love how you talk about um, creating viral customers in your book, The Comeback Effect. And I'm interested to know how you're kind of drawing to that point in your upcoming books. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that? Yeah, so in the next in the next book, it comes out September first. It's called the Volunteer Effect. Real creative, I know. Um, <laughs> and it's really about the person who delivers the comeback effect. Um, and so it's, I think it's super important that if you're if you have customers, one or a hundred thousand, you might use the word guest customer. So I use those interchangeably. Um, I think sometimes we can overlook the people that deliver the experience. In fact, if you look in customer service world, those companies that rank at the top, they, they share a couple of things in common. But one thing that they share in common is they prioritize the employee experience. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it does mean it's prioritized. And they do that with, you know, value system behaviors. They don't just say it, but they demonstrate it. And so I think, that while the guest is important, 100%, you, you can't take care of the guest and not take care of the people who help take care of the guest, you know? And so what does it look like for you to take care of them? And it could be super basic. You say, well, I don't have the financial resources, especially in the COVID world. Listening is free. It, doesn't it does require time, but it's not an additional expense, you know, on a sheet of paper. It, it's free. And so doing little things like that, acknowledging simple things like, you know, again, people want to be acknowledged personally and not just in a, quote, professional sense. And so I think 
for me in this new book, The Volunteer Effect. It's really helping organizations that utilize volunteers, but there's, there's thing principles you can extrapolate if you have staff and, and how do you, how do you affect them? Because they are going to affect the guest and customer experience. So it's, it's saying this group of people is super, super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I love, I love everything that you've said today. Um, I'm, I'm on the same page. Um, I love a couple of the things I wanted to just kind of revisit. You said, um, you know, tweak versus overhaul. I love that because, you know, we kind of put the pressure on ourselves to like hurry up and redo everything. And then you end up doing nothing or you do half of it. (laughs) And then you're like, wait, well now I half asked it. Now what do I do? So I love the tweaking at like 1% tweaks over a period of time to create a great impact. Um, and remind me again, you said pursue perfection. Yeah, and discover excellence. And discover excellence. <laughs> um, I love that, but I got in my head and did not write the rest of it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then pivot versus innovate. I love that as well. Um, I think they're not interchangeable. And I think that there is a big difference. And I think people can take that away today. Those are Those are what I what I really deem to be important points that you made today. Um, so tell, tell our listeners, what are a couple of the things you'd like to be known for? Um, I think I'd, I'd love to be known for someone who cares about other leaders and puts in the work and effort to invest in them. Um, and then the second thing is I, I want guests and customers to uh, feel when they walk away to feel seen, to feel cared for, to feel valued. And so if I can be known for helping accomplish those two things, because at the end of the day, I love to ask this question to companies and to leaders, but this is applicable to anybody at home. When people walk away from you, what do you want them to feel about you? Your brand, you as a leader, you as a customer service person, whoever it is, mom, dad, and so for me, I think I want people to say that that guy invests in me as a leader, as a person. And then I help create moments that guests feel cared for, seen and really, really valued. Because for me, hospitality, it's an antiquated word in many industries, customer experience, customer service. Like those are the words we use. But really, hospitality is, is an older word. But for me, hospitality is intentionally pro- providing a guest or a customer with generous care. I mean, when you do that, when you do that with other people, when you do that with guests, it's a remarkable place to be. And so I'd love to be known for those things. Well, Jason, I really appreciate taking the time to talk with us, to talk with me and to um, share with our listeners your nuggets, Um, dropping some knowledge on everybody here today. I appreciate it so much. And um, I wanted to thank everybody who is listening to us today for listening. I'm really proud to share this show with you um, as we love to highlight um, and showcase the customer experience as a legit business strategy and reminding us that no matter the business you're in, whether it's real estate, speaking, um, faith-based organizations, the customer experience should always be the heart of the business.